0: Hi there. I'm Clarence Waldron. Welcome back to Black Views. Tonight's guest is Christopher Benson. Oh, he is everything. He's a journalist. He's a lawyer. He's a very popular professor at the Medill School of Journalism at Northwestern University. He's also an Emmett Till Scholar. Emmett Till Scholar. He has written several books on Emmett Till, including Death of Innocence, that he wrote with Mamie Till Mobley, the mother of Emmett Till. Extraordinary book. Extremely big, best-selling, all that good stuff. Now he has another book out called A Few Days Full of Trouble that he wrote with Emmett Till's cousin and best friend, Reverend Wheeler Parker Jr. So listen, I'm gonna let him t- tell you about himself.
1: Hey, it's good to be with you, Clarence.
0: Absolutely. So let's start at the top with uh, A Few Days Full of Trouble. How did you two come together? Because you wrote that one with Reverend Wheeler Parker Jr.
1: How did that come about? Well, the Reverend Parker is, um, is was Emma Till's uh, cousin and his best friend. And I met him actually through Mamie Till Mobley. When I was working with her on her book, she wanted me to talk to uh, to Wheeler Parker for obvious reasons. He and, and Emma Till had been hanging out for the better part of seven or eight years and um, clearly knew a lot of things that could help to remind her of things that uh, that would help the story or fill in the blanks of the story that uh, the story she didn't know. So uh, that's how we met. And uh, we kept in touch for, you know, the last 20 years or so and uh, did a number of presentations together, public presentations. And then when it came to writing the book, he wanted he and his spouse, uh, Dr. Marvell Parker, wanted me to write the foreword that segged into, hey, taking a look and let's uh, let's see what you might be able to do to help us edit it. And then I wound up co-authoring it with him. It's interesting because when we first met uh, back in 2002, uh, he brought me into the back of a barbershop. He was a barber at one point. And I sat down with eight of Emmett Till's uh, friends and cousins, people who hung out with him. So that's kind of how our relationship started. And then we took uh, basically a four-year journey, a ride-along, if you will, with the FBI during the last phase of its investigation into Emmett Till's lynching uh, that helped to fuel this book.
0: Got it. Now, the, the title, A Few Days Full of Trouble, I just like that. That's very catchy. What were you thinking when you put, put that together?
1: Well, that that title actually was suggested very strongly by, uh, by Marvell Parker, uh, who is the first lady of the church that uh, Wheeler Parker pastors, uh, the church that uh, Emmett Till's grandmother helped to build, uh, Argo Temple Church of God and Christ in Summit. And uh, so she wanted that title very badly. Uh, it um, and, and it passed through our editors. They loved it too. It, it It has two meanings, basically. A few days full of trouble, obviously, uh, refers to Emmett Till in the few days he was in the Mississippi Delta before he uh, before he wound up being lynched, brutally lynched. But it also is biblical. It comes from Job fourteen. And it goes to a few days, uh, uh, It it literally, and and some people, some feminists may have an issue with the way it's structured, but it's biblical. Uh, Man is here, but a few days and full of trouble. There are other iterations of it. Man born of woman is here, but a few days and full of trouble. And what it goes to, as I looked at it and looked at the commentary on it, is that we are born into a material world. The trouble is that we get caught up in that material world. And it's only by being born again into a spiritual consciousness that we are saved. So that ties into a theme of the book, given that Reverend Parker is a minister in the Church of God in Christ, uh, and the journey, the journey he has taken over nearly 70 years of uh, traumatic memory, of a journey to justice, as the subtitle suggests and uh, finding peace and forgiveness in the end, and that's the elevation of his consciousness from this material world to that spiritual realm. So it ties all these things together that are central to the book.
0: Got it, got it. How hard was it for him to, um, I know he couldn't forget it all, but was it difficult for him to sit down and explain how he was feeling
1: after all these years have gone by? Did you sense that at all or no? Not at all. Um, you know, he was he was ready to talk. and um, you know, he's he's got Mississippi roots, so he's quite a storyteller. And I'm a journalist. <laughs> so uh, among many other things as you were pointed out, and um and so we had many conversations, I mean, conversations that were formal and recorded, conversations on the way to restaurants, conversations on the way to events. Uh, and over the course of that time, uh, you build up a level of trust, obviously. And um, you have a a person you're talking to who is willing to give up more of the personal uh, nature of the uh, the 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 story that you're dealing with. Um, there was there were many episodes where I think we never really intended for him to reveal something that he wound up revealing. And one of those times was when we were in Memphis, uh, in a hotel, it's called the Central Station Hotel, which actually is a train station. And I'll never forget that we were going, we we had been meeting with the FBI at that point, and going through documents, and we were reviewing the documents over a huge conference table in the lobby of this place. Well, Central Station is a train station that's converted into a hotel, and every time we'd walk through it, I'd say, "You know, this used to be a train station," and Wheeler would say, "Chris, it still is a train station." (laughs) Finally, they're sitting there late one evening and going through these documents and. Gazing out this wall of windows, I said, Oh my gosh, this really is still a train station and there's the train. Uh, and then it occurred to us that it was the city of New Orleans train. Memphis is a stop along the way from Memf- uh, from well, New Orleans to Mississippi to Memphis to Chicago. It's the train that Wheeler and Emmett took down to Mississippi, the train that brought Wheeler back to Chicago by himself without his cousin. The train that ultimately brought the remains of Emmett Till back. And in that moment, when he realized that was the train and we were in that station, he got up and almost in a hypnotic way, walked over to that wall of mirrors and just stood there for the longest time, gazing out at that train. And in that, we, we write about that in the book, in that eternal moment, he was processing everything that had brought him up to that point. And it was it, it was kind of an opening to so many other very sensitive aspects of the story that we were able to talk about. We just uh, uh, his wife Marvell and I just sit, sat there and watched him, and it was it was just this long moment of of um, recollection, obviously, and and the painful memories that he that that train conjured up. Wow, wow! Of course, <laughs> as a journalist, I don't miss a moment, right? So right. I. I, I use that as an opening to talk about so much else, and you'll see how we—well, you know how we write about yeah. it. In the book, yeah, yeah. So.
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. I also love how you use an African proverb to describe Mamie Till Mobley and Reverend Parker as lions. Share that with
1: the the viewers. Oh yeah. Well, the prof, the 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 uh, the the the, uh, the the African proverb is basically uh, until the the story of the hunt is told by the lion the story of the hunt will always favor the hunter. And we use that to characterize the misappropriation of the Invitil story over the nearly 70 years since uh, his brutal lynching in 1955. So many people have taken that story as their own and retold it in ways that support them and not uh, the truth. So in our journey to to revealing the truth, finding it and revealing it, uh, we refer to that because basically the only authentic voice on this uh, story now is is Wheeler Parker, and and so he is the uh, the person who's telling the story. And in, in effect, and and uh, of course, Mamie Till Mobley told it uh, 20 years ago. Uh, they are the lions, and we lionized them in telling the story uh, in an accurate way.
0: Ooh, cool! Now, what is the mission of the Emmett Till and Mamie Till
1: Mobley Institute? What is that? Mamie Till Mobley uh, mind her mission, uh, her her grief for mission in life, right? So, um, after uh, Emmett's um, lynching, uh, she uh, she had to find some purpose to keep going, and that purpose became education. So she taught in the Chicago public school system for twenty six years. We used that as our inspiration to build a program that is centered around education. So one of our early successes uh, was to get funding from the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative. We got $700,000 of funding to build a curriculum uh, online with, uh, in partnership with Facing History and ourselves to uh, t- teach uh, high school students, not only the story of Emmett Till, but the story of Emmett Till as part of a broader education with respect to civic engagement. So in six classes, we show uh, students not only the the facts of the Invitil case, but uh, some of the critical elements of the denial of justice there to encourage them to get involved in any way they can uh, to uh, to keep this democratic system alive, because we see Invitil as part of a much larger story. We also have been involved in developing the Emmett Till, uh, Traveling Exhibition in partnership with the Children's Museum of Indianapolis. And it's currently on tour. It's going to be wind, it's winding up its tour now uh, in Memphis before we get into the second phase of the tour. So we will be there in Memphis again uh, at the end of the tour in uh, in November. Uh, we also will be building other educational programs and related programs. In addition to that, we are uh, stewards of the National Monument in honor of Emmett Till and Mamie Till Mobley. It was just uh, proclaimed by President Biden on Emmett's birthday, as a matter of fact, July 25th. And the Roberts Temple Church of God in Christ is one of the three sites of this national uh, monument. And it, it actually is a part of a national historical park, but it has to be rededicated by Congress. So we're restoring uh, Roberts Temple Church of God in Christ, the the site of Emmett Till's funeral uh, in 1955, where he lay in repose over several days and was viewed in a glass top coffin for uh, by probably about 100,000 people. We're restoring it to its original configuration in 1955, and we're going to uh, strengthen the, the sanctuary and also build uh, exhibitions there and ultimately have a visitor center. Uh, so that's one of our activities as well. And we do programming. So a lot of activities that come out, but they're all based in education.
0: Right. Right. Tell me a little bit about that date, August 28th. August 28th sort of plays a role in our history. Can you sort of share a little bit of that?
1: August 28th is the date that Emmett Till was abducted from his family home in Money, Mississippi, and was uh, tortured uh, over the course of several hours and finally killed. And uh, his body was dumped in the Tallahatchie River with a 75-pound gin fan tied around his neck with barbed wire. His killers believed he would never be seen again. Uh, but in this, the spiritual context of the Immatil story, as recounted by his mother and now Reverend Parker. Uh, on the third day, he rose again, and he was discovered by a young fisherman. And um, and the rest, as we say, is history, right? So, the 28th marks that 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 date of his lynching. And the interesting thing about it is that the August 28th date becomes a connecting link to so many things because August 28th, 1955, is when 14-year-old Emmett Till was lynched in the Mississippi Delta. And August 28, 1963 is when Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. delivered his I Have a Dream speech before 250,000 people. August 28, 2008 is when Barack Obama delivered his acceptance speech of the Democratic nomination for president of the United States. So from uh, one August when, um, when people knew they could get away with destruction of the black body, to another August when uh, a minister prophet shared with us his vision of a different way, to another August when we were poised to realize that vision. The problem is that we have not gotten there completely yet. We think we have made progress. We think we've made it to that promised land, but we're still being challenged in so many ways as we know. It ties back to the lion story, right? that uh, people are trying to erase all of that history. And so we're all about trying to preserve it and teach uh, students uh, the next generation of leadership in this new society that we're building, that they have to continue to memorialize August 28th as a challenge to move forward.
0: Cool, cool. Um, Our colleague, the late Simeon Booker, he broke the Emmett Till story in Jet Magazine. Um, what are you? What are your memories about about Booker? Because didn't you work for <laughs> him for a hot minute? Didn't you? went you in the D.C. office?
1: Oh yeah, it was. It was more than a hot minute, actually. Uh, I was Washington editor of Ebony, and he was the bureau chief in Washington. And a remarkable, remarkable story and contribution to our country. He was in the Chicago office when uh, Emmett Till uh, was uh, was lynched. And he took uh, David Jackson, a photographer for Jet magazine, uh, to the the AA Rayner Funeral Home, and talked to Mamie Till Mobley about uh, about documenting this horrible horrible crime uh, with photographs. And she wanted the world to see. It's a famous quote by her: "Let the world see what I have seen." And so she allowed David Jackson, under Simeon Booker's direction, to photograph Emmett Till's remains. And that obviously produced that historic document uh, in Jet Magazine that frankly sold out uh, and then reprinted and sold out again. Um, But it was quite a difficult moment because Jet was such a new magazine, only a couple of years old at the time, that the publisher, John H. Johnson, was a little hesitant, (laughs) to say the least, about putting in uh, not only pictures of of a body, but such a brutalized, mutilated, body in on the pages of Jet magazine to, you know, um not just inform people, but perhaps um um you know offend people, the public, but also his advertisers. He was finally convinced by Bob Johnson, the editor of Jet and Simeon Booker to publish those photos. And, and, and as we say, that's now the historic document. But Simeon Booker covered the story. He went down to Mississippi to cover the trial. He had been a Neiman fellow at Harvard. Um, that's part of his his stellar background. And he wrote a report in Harvard that, um, that caught my eye. And I was able to talk to him over the years about Emmett Till and uh, connected that to the story we wrote uh, with Mamie Till Mobley. But he was quite an extraordinary figure in the history of the black press uh, and went on to cover the entire civil rights movement. I should say this, too, if I can quickly that uh, we won a, uh, a Robert F. Kennedy book award for, uh, for, for Mamie Till Mobley's book. And Ethel Kennedy herself called me to tell me that we had won that prize because she was so uh, moved by the story and wanted me to know that her family had been moved by the story and wanted to make sure that I would come to Washington to receive the award. Mamie Till Mobley had died, so she was not there to do it. And I said, okay, I'll do it under one condition that we can have Simeon Booker there with me uh, to be recognized. Simeon Booker and another writer for the Black Press, Moses Newson, who would cover the story. He was living in Baltimore at the time. So they said, okay, of course, And they invited them to come. They showed up. and when uh, when um, the the person who was the the MC of the the ceremony, uh, John Siegenthaler, the famous journalist, uh, former head of the Nashville uh, editor of the Nashville Tennessean and a an aide to Bobby Kennedy. When he found out, he said, oh, I know them. <laughs> he said, I'll be happy to recognize them at the event. And so when I went up to receive the award, I whispered in his ear, they're here. And he said, great. And he he um, went through this whole history of their work. And I was just amazed that he knew so much about them and recognized them standing ovation for their work. Because after all, I just wrote a story. They lived the story. And at the end of it, I was looking around for them. Uh, during the reception and there they were the three of them John Siegenthaler Moses Newson, and Simeon Booker bellied up to the bar like you would expect any seasoned journalist to be swapping war stories because it was Mm -hmm. John Siegenthaler who was sent down to rescue all of the the members of the sit-in, right, and the reporters who were covering them when those buses were mugged. Basically, you know, the bus that was burned and all the the sit-in uh, activists who were, uh, the 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 um, uh, the, uh, the the activists who were, who were brutalized. Uh, the freedom riders, I should say, who were brutalized there. And he came down to rescue them uh, on authority of, of Robert Kennedy, who was Attorney General at the time. So, just incredible stories that show that. Emmett Till is not just an African-American story. Emmett Till is an American story. It's a story of where we were, where we are, how we got here, and how we need to move forward. Um, so uh, Simeon Booker is very much a part of that. He's, he's central to that. And I was so honored to have been able to work with him and to be mentored by him and encouraged to do all the other things that I did as a journalist.
0: Cool, cool, cool. Now, you, you mentioned uh, Death of in- Innocence. Um, what type of woman was Mamie Till Mobley? I mean, outside of the media, I mean, I know her, her media portrayal, but how was she at home?
1: What kind of woman was she? Well, she was incredible, very, uh, very smart, uh, but also very determined. Uh, she was a little bitty thing, like five foot nothing, <laughs> um, and uh, but 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 very strong as you might imagine. She had to be strong just to get through uh, this horrible um, part of her life and to find mm-hmm. some reason to keep going on. So spiritually strong, uh, physically though, when I met her in uh, June 2002, uh, she was uh, in terrible health, terrible shape. And we wound up working together the last six months of her life to make sure that her story would live on beyond her. She knew that she wasn't long for this world. Um, she wanted to live on because she had more work to do, but she was ready to go. There was no question about it. But terribly determined, uh, she had um, her her eyesight was failing her, but her vision was still keen. Um, she could she could barely walk. Walked in a walker. Um, her heart was was getting weaker but is again strong in so many ways Uh, i'll never forget uh, there are so many events um, but um, but at one point uh, because her she she couldn't see very well i was uh, i had blown up the the pages of of one chapter that i was going to read to her and uh, she was reading in like 100 point type or something and i was reading with her and uh, i could see her smiling at some of the funny parts and there are those humorous parts in the book and then wiping a tear from her eye uh in some of the really moving parts and that was an incredible experience for me to help write a book that brought tears to the eyes of, of immatil's mother but then she she looked at something i had read I uh, had written that said i was so lucky and she said can we change that to blessed and because she's a she's a woman of the church right and she didn't wait for my answer. She was already scratching it out and writing in her work. So it was like she was polite. That was the Mississippi part about it. But she was determined. She was going to make that change whether I liked it or not. And I'm like, uh, well, yeah, I guess so. It's your book, right? Um, and then at the very end, um, just days before her death, I was there during the Christmas uh, uh, season, and um, and she walked me to the door, and then leaned into a hug and said, you know, this, this experience of put, working the last six months with me, um, she said, this has been cathartic. And I knew what she meant. What she meant was this was the first time she had really talked as deeply about this story as as she did with me and um, how she had, had finally found forgiveness. N- not so much for the killers, but she did. But it, she was talking about herself, that she had found forgiveness for herself because this is a mother's story. And you have to think about the pain of a mother who would think for the rest of her life that there was something else that she could have done to make a difference. She might not have sent her son down to Mississippi, or did she tell him enough to help him survive in Mississippi? Or when she started getting nervous, should she have gone to Mississippi to bring him back home? All kinds of questions that a mother would continue to ask for the rest of her life. And telling the story helped her deal with all of that and to leave this place knowing that she had left something behind that would be impacting
0: you know looking right now what did you learn from from her about either writing the book or just what did you learn because she's she's such a teacher you know what i mean
1: yeah yeah well uh it kind of changed my life i mean i was a journalist before that and uh knew all the rules of journalism right but it helped me to find a new purpose in my journalism with respect to social justice and legal justice. I'm also a lawyer, so I can put those two things together, uh, which is, is part of the history of the Black press, right? The Black press is often referred to as the Black advocacy press. And so many of the people who started newspapers in the 19th century and into the 20th century with the Defender and Robert Abbott, so many of them were either activists or lawyers, advocates for... Uh, the truth for preserving our democratic system and 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 promoting the guarantee of freedom and justice and equality, right? Um, and so I learned that I had a role to play in that by virtue of the Emmett Till story, by developing a deep understanding of what was really at stake here, not just the denial of justice, but a whole uh, power system in America that keeps uh, uh, people of color in subordinated uh, positions in our society, And I learned how to tell stories that help enlighten the public at large about the challenges we face in protecting and furthering the goals of a democratic society. And we're challenged now more than ever before, aren't we? We keep talking about that. And part of it is because we are on the cusp of a new demographic reality in this country within our lifetime, within the next 15 years or so. This is no longer going to be a majority white country. And we can see that there's some people having a little bit of trouble dealing with that (laughs) reality and Mm. they're pushing back. So what can we do to um, to help people find some kind of way to process this new reality, to live in a plural society um, in which we all clearly have to to work together to preserve it? Um, And so, yeah, I'm going to keep telling those stories.
0: Cool. Cool. She turned my life around. (laughs) I love it. Now, what would she say about all the Till, the Till movie, the ABC, you know, series, even your book with uh, Reverend Parker? What
1: would she say about all that? She'd be happy that the story is still being told. We participated in the TV series, the ABC series, a six-part series, Women of the Movement. They picked up the rights to her book, and uh, Wheeler, Marvell, and I, And another cousin, Ollie Gordon, uh, served as consultants on that. So we were quite pleased with the way that turned out. There was a companion documentary as well. Uh, The the latest movie, Till movie, was more problematic because they invented so many things in that movie. So I don't know that she would have been happy with how they characterized certain things there. But the one thing that she would be pleased about is that people are still talking about the story and still learning from it.
0: All right, go. Oh, no, no, one more, one more, one more. You have a, you won an Emmy. Was that for, from the TV series, or where did you get an Emmy from?
1: Oh, I I did another. Uh, I've done other work. <laughs> so, I've seen. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I was a, a an associate producer and a, a, a co editor on um, a documentary on the Chicago Defender, the hundredth anniversary, for a local PBS station. So I picked up a couple of Emmys for that.
0: Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> All right, all right.
1: Now, let's go back
0: to the the current book. What are your takeaways? What do you want us to get
1: from it? And where can we buy it? (laughs) Well, I can answer the last question first. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, It's available at Amazon. It's also available uh, at the site of our our publisher, Random House. Um, What we want people to take away first is the truth. Uh, because that's one of the issues we deal with with respect to people who have misappropriated the story and told it their own way. So many distortions out there. We correct those. Uh, so I'm not going to give it all away. Because if people want to read it, it's quite a quite a compelling page turner. So many people have told me because it tracks the investigation and the dealing with the personal trauma in parallel tracks. So it's quite quite a quite an interesting read. Uh, but the truth is one thing that we want people to to take away from this book the truth not only about the facts of the case but the context of the uh the story uh the 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 power structure that exists um that existed back then that uh allowed people to get away with murder uh when it came to white people murdering black people uh yeah. what did that mean then what does it mean now what are our challenges and Ultimately, we want people to experience the spiritual journey that Wheeler Parker uh, Jr. Uh, took uh, to find forgiveness at the end, uh, to to see why that's an important thing for us all to achieve in order to move forward. So it's quite a quite a powerful work in that regard. So we hope people get something like that out of it.
0: Ooh. Now, before, before you go away, tell us something about your students at Northwestern.
1: Oh, okay, well, really and bright guys. bunch, you know, because you you you've been teaching there too, so <laughs> you know, really really bright uh, students. I almost call them kids, but you know, that's how we tend to think of it. Um, some of the best and brightest who are committed. I teach um, uh, some courses that are established, but courses I've developed as well. One, I'm teaching this term to graduate students a seminar on um, on racialized propaganda. And the interesting thing about it is it's a seminar, so it's capped at a certain enrollment, but it over it's always oversubscribed, which is encouraging to me to know that there are students who are journalists, who are going to be professional journalists uh, who are really committed to understanding the challenges we're we're dealing with in uh, with respect to race. And well, social, uh, socially constructed difference in every way—race, sexuality, gender, religion—all the things that we're dealing with now—they want to be in that conversation. So that's very encouraging, and they're doing exceptionally well. So I really, I really uh, love the experience of teaching. Uh, I look forward to going into the classroom when I get when I go.
0: Okay, cool. Now this is the uh, Black Muse podcast. So <laughs> okay. i got to ask you. i got to ask you who inspired you when you look back. Over your life and your accomplishments. Who who were your earlier supporters, Chris?
1: Uh well, of course I mentioned maybe to Mobley, so I have to uh, underscore that. But do you ask for early um encouragement for my writing? I I guess uh I guess I have to look at it on a couple of levels. One, you know, I had um some romantic experiences that certainly inspired storytelling. I, I have a trilogy, a not a fictional trilogy that I want to work on, and the working titles are "Blindsided," "Under the Influence," and "Repeat Offender." So I said, I think that says a lot about my love life, right? <laughs> but so, so I was inspired in those relationships. But early on, I have to say with my mom, uh, my mom, we were not well off at all, but she taught us that we were better than our circumstances. And we had to believe in the power of the possibility to do anything we set out to do. And in the course of that early experience, I began just writing letters to relatives, to aunts who would who would compliment me on my writing. And so that encouragement I got from my mom gave me more um, confidence in the writing uh, that I took into school and my compositions would be read to the class. And I just started thinking of myself as a writer, um, I, it, it never has been a question, uh, in my mind that I know how to write and I do it all the time. So I'd have to say, it started with my mom who said, you can do anything you want to do. You can be anything you want to be. And, um, yeah. And so, uh, bless her heart. She passed away on new year's day this year. Uh, and so I was so, uh, happy to have been able to spend time with her as her caregiver over the last seven years of her life. And, um, and to talk about some of those early, uh, moments of inspiration.
0: Oh, I can't believe our time is up. <laughs> if anything else you would like to share, because our time is
1: up. Hmm. Uh, I want to encourage people to do what what I learned how to do, starting with my mom, and perhaps um, being um, strongly reinforced by Mamie Till Mobley, to uh, find that purpose, that unique gift that we all have to share with the world, and to continue to live on purpose. Got it. Well,
0: thank you for your time, Chris. I really appreciate it. Um, before we close, I got to do a quick little commercial. I want to send a special thank you to uh, Howard Sandifer and his wife, Darlene Sandifer. They are the founders of the Chicago West Community Music Center. And this whole podcast is their idea. They, they sort of said, let's have lively conversations with our favorite newsmakers." So here we are in our fifth season. So please like and subscribe and that is all. Good night y'all.